Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. What follows is a service from October 30th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, everybody. Still got all the Ackland arrivals. So like, yeah, where's everybody coming last? Is this a retreat today or something? No, no, no. Yeah, it's a little, it's looking a little sparse. I, you know, wait 15 minutes, and you, and it's always a surprise how many more people there are here. Is that a retreat day? Still, I mean, it's just a wet day. <laughs> I know that I have wanted to sleep longer in the morning because of the dreariness of the, and the darkness. I'm going to start us off um, this morning by reading Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, the Levite from Cyprus, whom apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are grateful for another day of life. God, I, um, I'm grateful this morning for a warm place, a dry place, the um, ability to be together and uh, fellowship and worship and learn be encouraged. God, be with us and bless us as we um, try to be more like your son. God, I pray for those that aren't here this morning. Lord, I think of the, the sick and the suffering. Lord, I think of the sleepless and those that are wet and angry and prideful and those that are ignorant. God, may, may you be a blessing upon them. May you encourage them. May we find ways to encourage others to come and be a part of our fellowship. God, as we read your word, I pray that we would know that you have much grace upon our heart, uh, upon our actions. But Lord, I pray that you would also encourage us to try harder, to care for one another, and to be there for one another. God, help us now as we sing. May our hearts be filled with gladness and peace and joy and be encouraged. You just need to pray. Amen. Five hundred forty-four. Five four four. Redeem how I love to proclaim it. Redeem by the blood of the Lamb. Redeem the redemption and mercy. His child forever I am.
Cancer can be so brutal and overwhelming. So we lift up Leanne, Brett, Pam, Robert, Jane, Ed, Aiden, and Debbie. I pray that you will give them courage and peace as they endure their treatments um, and healing, bring, bring healing to them. Please continue to be with Christy, Chuck, Jackson, and Karen. Um, you know what they need, and I pray that you will ease their struggles and make your presence known in their lives. <coughs> continue to bless all, all of our missionaries worldwide, but especially those we know here at Ackland. Uh, Lord, you know what they're dealing with day to day, and I pray that you will ease their burdens and grant them protection as they spread your word. Thank you for the gift of your son, always, and we pray that the rest of our service will be pleasing to you, and in your son's name we pray. Amen. Fifty-six in the top of the
Good morning, everyone. What are the things that embarrass you? Types of things that are said, maybe certain people, things that uh, I hear younger people use the phrase, boy, that is cringeworthy, right? What are the things that make you cringe? In her prayer, Amy mentioned political season. I confess, I've gotten things in my mailbox that made me cringe a little bit. The tone of it, uh, the dynamic of it. What are the things that embarrass you? We're in a series talking about, if we're truly honest, there are times that Jesus has been embarrassing to people. And there are times that Jesus' teachings have been embarrassing to people. The quintessential example of that in Scripture is when Peter denies Jesus. And they said, you're with Jesus. And he says, I don't even know the guy. And you picture his face just completely turning red as he says that. I don't, I don't even know him. He cringes at the name of Jesus. And it says Jesus looks right at him when he said that. So last week we talked about how sometimes Jesus might prove embarrassing in the modern age or any age. But we are called to be unashamed. We are called to not be embarrassed of Jesus. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we are also called to be unashamed of Jesus' teachings on money, sex, and power. Kind of the big three that gets mentioned a lot, right? Money, sex, and power. Today we're going to be talking about money. One of the things that's happening in American culture is Christian identification wanes and as church going wanes, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to make sense of the new normal. And there's a tendency on all sides to want to water down the aspects of teaching that we see in the scripture to try to somehow fill a part of majority culture. There's a lot of us that have always been in the majority, specifically in quote-unquote Christian America. And a lot of people... What's going on beneath the surface is this sense of if the culture no longer provides the scaffolding for my belief system. And on some ways, we could question if it ever really did that, okay? But this sense of it's no longer giving the scaffolding of the Christian belief system. What if we're going to be the minority? I don't know that I want to be the minority. Are there aspects of Jesus' teaching that I can just kind of rub off or sand down a little bit so that I can still be part of the majority? And in these times, what's given me rejuvenation and strength in recent years is to spend time in writings by people who are accustomed to being in the minority. Minority Christians. And I would make the case that being salt and light has always been the minority position in the world. Jesus has always said, the, the road is narrow, Right? So I found strength in the historic black church. I have found strength among immigrant Christians. And what we're talking about and, and getting resources from in this series is the Anabaptist tradition, which flows out of the Protestant Reformation. The word Anabaptist means baptized again. This is in the 16th century. This is after the time of Luther and Calvin. So there's these battles between the Reformers and the Catholic Church. But then there's this third option. There's this different way where they say... We're no longer going to practice infant baptism, not just for theological or biblical reasons, but infant baptism, we believe, is watering down discipleship because it is equating citizenship in a country and baptism into Jesus as the same thing. And we are citizens of heaven, so we are getting baptized again. The word Anabaptist, baptizing again. We're getting baptized again to Shay. We are citizens of heaven more than we are citizens of Denmark, France, Belgium, Germany, various countries of that day. So they were breaking free from the cultural power of their times, and people did not like that. And so they were radically persecuted. These were Christians that said, we don't care what the country thinks the value should be. We don't care what the culture thinks the value should be. We believe if Jesus said it, those are the values we have. And so the simplest way to describe the Anabaptist position is they believe what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is actually true and helpful and valuable and should be followed. And the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus are followed radically. 
The book that I'm really wanting to go through and give us excerpts from in, in this series is not technically an Anabaptist book, but it's in the Anabaptist stream. It's written by a Quaker, another movement that knows what it's like to be the minority. We normally think of Anabaptists in this country as Mennonites or Amish or stuff. But this book comes from a Quaker. His name is Richard Foster. You might have heard his name in the famous book, Celebration of Discipline. And he has this book, The Challenge of the Disciplined Life, Christian Reflections on Money, Sex, and Power. And I want to give us a few excerpts from this book and a few other resources as we go through this. And also, as we talk about money today, I'm going to change up the order. Next week, I want to talk about power. And then we'll talk about sex the week after that. Because as I talk about sex, I really want to talk about how some of the horrific things we've seen, specifically among sexual abuse, derive from evil senses of power. And so I kind of want to change the sequence and talk about power next week and then sex the week after, but money this week. If you would, stand with me for our gospel reading from the Sermon on the Mount. It's inside our bulletin. This is Matthew 6. If you want to join with me in the bold section, feel free. Kids, you're going to notice a funny word, mammon. It's not a word we use a lot. That's one of the main things we're going to talk about today, this idea of mammon. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Together, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In Foster's section on money in the book, he has four chapters. And, uh, and don't panic as I go through this, because I'm going to spend the majority of my time on the first chapter. So I know some of the kids are going to be like, he spent that much time on the first chapter. How long is this going to go? Okay. Uh, the four chapters are, he talks about the dark side of money, the light side of money, Kingdom use of unrighteous money, and then lastly, the vow of simplicity. Um, I'll set it up this way. My family has a hobby that they like to play sometimes on the way to church or the way home from church. And, and this game is called, uh, and I'm not invited to play, by the way, but the game is called, What Was Dad's Worst Sermon Ever? Okay, and, and there are plenty of votes for this, but... Uh, the, the worst sermon, the vote normally given is, apparently, there's a sermon that's known as the anti-dog sermon, where apparently I came out against dogs. My point was, I'm not a dog guy. It doesn't mean I hate dogs. But I'm not, I'm just not a dog guy. Okay, but I'm trying to make up for that today, so I'm going to tell a dog story that makes dogs look good. Okay, so... We have a dog. Some of you are like, don't even try. It's going to make it worse. This is the story of my life when I try to make things better. It makes it worse. Okay. Um, I've never been as proud of our dog, Bailey, as I was last Saturday. Okay. We have a, a Yorkie. It was a, it was a COVID decision. None of us were thinking rationally. Okay. But like, COVID decision, we got a Yorkie. And uh, there was an event at Cheekwood where you could dress up your pet and take them to Cheekwood, and there were pumpkins and everything. So we dressed up our pet like, like a bumblebee. My youngest picked out the outfit. She did a great job on it. Bailey looks really sharp. I had some anxiety about this because Bailey likes to bark at other dogs. Okay, and when Bailey gets any taste of freedom, Bailey just runs through the neighborhood. Okay, and when I call, Bailey does not come to me, but instead Bailey normally looks at me like, you wish I would come to you, okay? And so some of the most frustrating moments of my adult life have been, been chasing dogs, okay? So we had Bailey on a leash, and we had a barking collar on Bailey, okay? And Bailey knocked it out of the park. He looked great, okay? People were coming to us 
what a beautiful dog you have. And it went to my head. I was like, thank you. We're proud of him. Okay. And I was taking credit for the dog I don't always spend time with. Okay. And all these people had their dogs out. And it was fun. And it was a beautiful Saturday and all this stuff. And then it hits me. I like dogs. The key thing here is the leash. And that's really the key thing in the whole system is the leash. I'm a runner. There have been so many times dogs have chased me when I've been running and the owner will come out and say, I'm so sorry. My dog, my dog never does this. And I'm like, that's so funny. I get told that once a week. My dog never does this. Okay. And it's, it's scary when you're chased by a dog you're not familiar with and you're out running. Okay. The key to a good relationship with a dog. This is my new premise. I like dogs if there's a leash. I want us to think of money that way. Money has to have a leash. And if there is no leash on our money, it will run all over the neighborhood. <laughs> and it will make us so, so frustrated. A quote from Foster in the book, he says, money is an idolatry and we must be converted from this idolatry to be converted to Jesus. Foster talks about how there's a spiritual power behind money. In the scriptures, they use the word mammon to not just talk about money, but to talk about the spiritual power that is behind money. So in this time period, they believe in the spiritual unseen world. They believe in principalities and powers. And I adhere to these beliefs too. I know sometimes it's difficult in the modern world to believe this. They're unseen powers. They're unseen forces. And they believe that the demonic world often used money to divide people and to divide the human soul. Here's one of the main things I want us to understand this, this morning. This comes from Foster's book and a lot of other teaching on this. Money is not neutral. I think we've become convinced that money is just a neutral thing. Money is a power. And it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. But it has to have a leash on it because there's just this amazing power behind money. Let me illustrate it a couple ways. I've got a dollar bill in my pocket. And haven't you been in settings, especially when you're growing up and you're messing around with your friends and stuff, you're like, hey, I'll give you five bucks if you walk up to that person and say this. Hey, I'll give you ten bucks if you try to jump over that. Okay? And how many times in my life, especially as a teenager before my prefrontal cortex got solid, okay? <laughs> that I do something stupid and say, what were you thinking? And I was like, they told me they'd give me ten bucks if I did it. Okay? And interesting how you start pulling out money and people are like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do it if you're going to pay me for it. How many times at work they give you extra assignments and you're like, am I getting paid more for this? I'm getting paid more for this. How many times does your boss put pressure on you to do something that says, hey, this is your job, meaning I'm holding this over you. This may compromise your ethics just a tad, but I'm holding this over you and, and there's power here. The illustration I always go back to is, is Lord of the Rings and the character of Gollum, right? Whether you like the books or the films. And the Gollum character is slowly transformed by the ring of power and refers to it, right, as my precious. And he just looks at it and he's transformed by it and it takes over. And no one would ever say, yeah, I think the ring of power is neutral. <laughs> no, there is a power there. And it must be put on a leash or it will take you over and ruin your life. Okay? And when I say money, sex, and power, somebody's like, oh, I'm already nervous. What's he going to say about sex and power? Okay? We need to be more nervous about what's going to be said about money. Because greed is a socially acceptable sin in our culture. We have to take what Jesus says about money Seriously. Foster says, the only way to get free from the power of mammon is to give. 
is to give it away. The only way to be free from greed, the only way to keep money on a leash is to give it away. He says giving frees us from the tyranny of money. He says we have to start thinking about how we can possess money without being possessed by money. And in the Bible and in the scripture and the teachings of Jesus, when you're free from this power, this almost demonic power of money by giving, and the default expectation in the Bible is that we give 10% away. And that is not an end goal, but that is a starting point, that we give 10% away. We see this in the Old Testament, and the word they use for it is the tithe. And Jesus assumes that in all of his teachings. And he, goes, he goes way beyond it, by the way talks about how righteousness should exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. He talks about the widow that gives everything. Zacchaeus gives half of his possessions away. He asks the rich young ruler to give everything. To be clear, the tithe is only a starting point. But it is so counterculture in our world to say, one of the ways we follow Jesus is that we give 10% away. But I want to tell you this, it is not an arbitrary hoop you have to jump over for God to love you. It is actually the pathway to freedom. The pathway to freedom from the demonic power of money is to learn how to give it away. Now, I want to be honest, I've, I've changed a little over the years on my thoughts on this. When I was younger, I, I really believed that we had to give 10% to the local church. And the first amount we gave was to the local church. And then we could give beyond that to other types of things. I still believe we should give to the local church. I'm appreciative for the way you give to the local church. Obviously, it supports me. And I'm grateful for the way you support me for my ministry here. But I no longer believe all the tithe has to go to the local church. But I believe that there must be 10% that leaves our houses. There must be 10% that leaves our checking account. There must be 10% that leaves. And it can go to any of the beautiful ministries we have around town, or it can go to our next door neighbor who just lost their, lost their job and can't pay their mortgage. Okay, It doesn't have to be classified as a tax deduction to count as giving. Right? As I say this, some of you are thinking, I can't give 10% away. Money's too tight. And I would say the beauty of the 10% is it's a percent. So it's not a sum amount. So if you have less amount, 10% is less. If you have more, 10% is more. I do think there are a few exceptions where it's just too crazy to give 10%. Life is too hard to give 10%. And so I do think there is grace and mercy on that. But I also want to point out that the average American gives 2 or 3% away to charity. And trust my heart here, I'm not trying to get overly political, but I want to say this. In the last presidential election, we had one person running for president who refused to release their tax records. We had another official that released their tax records, and we found out they only gave about 2 or 3%. I was disappointed with both of them. First of all, we deserve to see your tax records. And secondly, shame on you for only giving 2 or 3% away to charity when you're a multimillionaire. We should be better than that. Early on in our marriage, Beth and I were 24 and 22. We were going over some of these teachings and our church we were part of in Central Connecticut was part of this initiative to build a new church building. And I am rarely in favor of like campaigns to build new church buildings, but you just have to trust me like, this was needed. This was a helpful case and like this new facility it's closer to where everybody lived. It's closer to the interstate. We were crammed. Anyway, it was a good thing. And I'm rarely in favor of those, but this was a good thing. And Beth and I prayed about it. And the Lord put an amount of money on our heart that we wanted to give over three years to this endeavor. And we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford the amount of money that we felt like we should be given to this. So you know what we did? We learned how to manage our money. Now, I'm not holding myself an example. I don't always manage my money well. I've spent too much money on baseball caps in my life. Okay, but 
here's one of the benefits of the tithe. If we sit down and we plan at the beginning to give 10% away, we're like, dang, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, in some exceptions you can. If your life is on fire right now, I want you to hear grace and mercy this morning. I do not want you to walk out feeling bad. And yet, you know what's going to help you learn to manage your money? To set aside 10% first that you give away to other people. And that's what did it for us. And so in God's providence, when we learn how to manage our money, we're like, oh, now that I've learned to manage my money, we can buy a house. So like after we gave that commitment to this campaign for this church endeavor, and we started managing our money better, we learned that, oh, fine, we can afford a house. And that would be better than, now it was our specific situation. I'm not trying to put that on anyone else. But here's what I think is the most problematic. Middle class people who whine about the rich and say they should give more, but yet who themselves don't manage their money well and don't give away 10%. That was a hard thing to say out loud. So please hear me right. I'm upset with myself as much as anyone else. Am I upset with the rich sometimes? Absolutely. But a lot of us probably in this room are middle class or upper middle class. And it is easy to rage about the 1%. It is harder to get our finances in order and make sure we're giving 10% away. And yet, friends, it's not some arbitrary command so God will love you. It's the pathway to freedom. This is how we keep ourselves from becoming Gollum. This is how we can turn to our boss and say, I'm not doing that. There are other jobs out there. You cannot manipulate me with money because my heart is not in money. The demonic forces of money don't control me. I just walk away. I get another job. Because I have cultivated a heart through the power of the Holy Spirit that mammon has no control over me because I have money on a leash. And going quickly through the next couple of chapters, after talking about what Foster says is Jesus radical criticism of wealth, Foster does point out in his chapter on the light side of money, that money can often be used to make the world a better place. Money can often be used to expand the kingdom of God. There's this beautiful passage in Jesus' teaching where it points out that Jesus was financially supported by a group of women. And they took what was mammon and they put a leash on it and they said, hey, money is not neutral. It can be used for good or bad. We're resisting the bad. And we are supporting Jesus with this money so that Jesus can do his ministry. We have the well-known story of when Joseph, in the Old Testament story, uh, in the latter part of Genesis, when they save up grain in Egypt so that there can be resources there for people during the time of famine. The psalm that Amy read talks about blessed is the one who lends money to the poor and doesn't charge interest. My family's story's been forever changed. I've told this story before. I can tell it again later and take longer to tell it. But my dad grew up dirt poor and somebody paid his way to college. And so the rest of my life, and he tried to pay the guy back and he said, no, just do it for someone else. And the rest of my dad's life, and then my mom's life, then later my, my stepmom's life, the stories, and they don't brag about it. He just tells me when we're having a quiet conversation. But the number of times they have helped people when their car broke down and when they couldn't make their car payment or they couldn't make their house payment. And he's helped other people go to college. He's helped other people do all kinds of different things. When they got the stimulus checks, they gave away every penny of the stimulus checks. It's like, we don't need it. Like, we're retired. God has blessed us. And they put themselves in a position. This is the light side of money. Think about how you can use your money to bless others. I dream of the day not when I can give away 10%. I dream of the day when I can give away 20%, 40%, 50%. We have people here. Now, I don't do audits of your finances, but I have a strong suspicion that some of you give 20 25 30 even 40% away. It's amazing. And for those of us in younger age brackets, can we dream that our life might get there? Well, not that we start to be controlled by mammon, but that we say, someday I'm going to give half of what I have 
And then I might get to the point where I just give it all away, right? What would it look like to live that way? His third chapter, he talks about the kingdom use of unrighteous mammon. He talks about this story in Luke 16. Remember this parable of Jesus that we never know what it means where he, he talks about the manager that cancels all the debts and he says, use, use worldly wealth to gain friends. And we're always like, oh, I don't think Jesus means what we think he means. Okay, like we always stumble over ourselves. And Foster says, he means what he says. Use money to bless people. Use money to make friends, not in a manipulative way. But think about how we can use money to bless others. Foster says, we must have this view where everything is really God. So the question is not, how much of my money should I give to God? But how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Not how much of my money should I give to God. But how much of God's money should I keep for myself? And then lastly... The vow of simplicity. We must live simple lives. And we must hold each other accountable. Now, we have to be careful about judging each other. We all have an indulgence. You know, I confess my baseball caps. I see some of your indulgences, too. We have odd things we're into. And yet, there are things I've been tempted to buy. And I was like, I would not be able to look people to act on the eye if I bought that. That would feel so silly. A couple times I've gone to some of you and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And sometimes you said, I want to do that. I talked to my dad about it. Dad, what do you think about this expenditure money? Like, boy, the last thing we want to do is talk about our finances. Like, go up to somebody and start talking about money and they'll look at you and say, can we talk about politics instead? I mean, we do not want to talk about money. We almost rather talk about anything else. But we need to hold each other accountable to this vow of simplicity. I remember the first time I learned about the power of mammon. My sweet grandmother, Granny Robinson, who was friends with Miss Fran, I found out years later. She used to give me what was called the wish book. And she would give it to me around September, October. And it was the Sears Christmas catalog. And I would fold down pages and I would get all excited and my sweet godly grandmother was inadvertently teaching me the power of mammon because I was so greedy and I wanted everything in that catalog and every page of that was like, this is my precious. The Ewok village really was my precious, by the way. But um, it was like everything was amazing. But here's what we've learned from science. Every time you buy something on Amazon, you get a dopamine hit. And every time you get home and Mr. or Mrs. Amazon is delivering the package on the front step, you get a dopamine hit. And I know friends, they get depressed in January because the Amazon packages aren't coming anymore. And I know friends that will be like, I could go to the store and buy cereal, but I really like buying it from Amazon. It like feels good and then they show up and hand me my cereal. <laughs> It, there, that is more convenient. I'm not judging that. But there's a power there, right? It's a little weird. It's a little sick. It begins to control us. Foster says, the great moral question of our time is how to move from greed to generosity. Greed may be the toughest thing. In America, greed may be the toughest thing that we struggle with. Because, as was said by Michael Douglas in the classic movie Wall Street, greed is good. And that's the American sentiment. And you know who likes greed? Rich people, middle class people, poor people. People in New York City, people in Mississippi, people in Idaho, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, everybody likes greed. And so if we push back against greed and we refuse to be controlled by mammon, if we put money on a leash, we're going to be the minority. And people are going to think we're weird. When that happens, we have to say, I refuse to be embarrassed by Jesus, and I refuse to be embarrassed by Jesus' teaching on money. Let's stand together and sing. Is it for me, dear Savior, my glory and my rest? For me so weak and simple, oh, shall I be so blessed?
Let us pray. Lord, may we receive this body, this blood of Christ, uh, this cup of salvation with thanksgiving. And may we find in here forgiveness uh, that may keep us in everlasting life. We ask in Jesus' name.
Our final reading this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, and then 17 through 19. But godliness with contentment is great pain, great gain. <laughs> Often pain. <laughs> For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with great griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Pray with me. Thank you, God, for each of the people who have made a difference in our lives, who have given us money at times, clothing, items that we needed, that have shared things with us so that we didn't have to go out and purchase them ourselves. Thank you for a loving, giving family that spans many states, many countries. Help us to give in a way that honors you whether that is quietly and without anyone else knowing or whether that is in a way that we share what we have to give to other people and others know. Whatever it is, Lord, we have, it is yours. And help us to always remember that. Thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us. Thank you for our homes, for food to eat, for places to learn, and for places to worship. Help us to tie all those together with faith in you and your son and with the love that you so richly have shared with us. It is in your name we pray. Amen. start off this morning by saying thank you. Thank you to Amy. Because if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be up here doing announcements, and I wouldn't realize that I've got an anniversary coming up. <laughs> thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. That's a joke. Really, I knew, and every time here, so she doesn't know. Don't kill her. <clears throat> this week, we do have Brad and Anna Marie having an anniversary. Um, we also have Lake Porter, who is no longer with an age down here. Congratulations, Lake. It, it seems weird to me. And Mariah, Mariah's going nine this week. Congratulations, Mariah. We also want to congratulate a lot of other things, like Aaron and Linda Woods, uh, because they've got a grandchild that was born uh, into their family, uh, and I'm sure that is where they are, uh, is uh, with family there. So uh, I know they would love to, to hear from you and celebrate uh, with them. Uh, we're gonna have an opportunity to, to celebrate, celebrate today, uh, this evening at the Delmonis. Uh, everybody is welcome. Uh, a little bit of a potluck, a little bit of a uh, fire, a little bit of uh, being out there in nature uh, and together. Uh, so all the details are in the bulletin. Uh, if you need anything, please see many of us and we can help you with uh, filling in the details that the bulletin doesn't cover. Uh, Midweek, we're going to be at the Conways. Uh, we've got a, a new addition to the building here. Uh, the Thrift Smart Box that is out uh, back by the uh, back stairs uh, in the parking lot there. Uh, a way for us to give back uh, that uh, the benefits of those will go to NICE uh, which is in the Nashville International Center for Empowerment so if you've got clothing uh, that is lightly used and still in good condition please donate um, let's talk about a, a few things that we've got coming up uh, here and hopefully I'm not going to miss anything here uh, so this November 7th we've got a, a time of prayer uh, election day is upon us uh, for a variety of local offices, among other things as well. 
so hopefully you are paying attention to that. Uh, but we have an opportunity to pray, pray for our nation uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, that will be here at the building from 12 to 1, and we do encourage you to fast as well uh, and join us uh, as uh, not only our state, uh, but also this country is, is trying to guide itself in a variety of different ways. We've got uh, the official beginning of Room at the Inn is November 6th. Uh, we are first starting our participation on November 13th, uh, and that is covered uh, by the Woods, Myricks, and a few others, uh, small group. Uh, but if your small group has not signed up, that's traditionally how we do uh, Room at the Inn. Uh, if you are not part of a small group and you would like to participate, as we welcome generally about six guests uh, into our building for, the, for an evening, it's a Sunday night, we do a potluck with them, spend some time with them, uh, have them have a nice warm place to rest, and then we take them back the next morning. We'd love to have you participate. You can see me and I will get you connected in that regards. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet out there, and if you've got any questions, concerns, I will get you the answers uh, in that regards. Um, a thing that brought great joy to my heart, too, on November 20th, we're having a Thanksgiving potluck here, and there's flag football afterwards. So you eat, and then you run it off. Great opportunity there. And if you uh, need to see a little bit of talent in your life, Ackland's athleticism is incredible. You should see it. Looking at two pulse fighting. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. Jill's house. Uh, we've got an opportunity to serve there. That's a weekend, early December. Look at that. Uh, there'll be more details coming out with that. Going into next year, we've got prayer retreats. Uh, we've got a ladies retreat coming up this next weekend. So a lot of different stuff uh, on your calendars if you haven't been looking for that. Uh, and then uh, maybe more of a reminder. Uh, so as we got classes going on, we want to be respectful, particularly of the kids, as we are trying to uh, um, share knowledge with them. Uh, so if we can, we want to try to, uh, I'm going to say, separate our fellowship uh, and do maybe a little bit more of that for the adults up here. We'll have coffee up here uh, so that you don't have to go downstairs if you don't want to. Or maybe you can fellowship a little bit more up here uh, as the kids are starting to be educated and everything along those lines. Have I missed anything, Church? The room next to the kitchen is now also, it's all going to be open, so they can fellowship there as well. Yeah, so we've, we've moved around some of the uh, um, children's classes to try to facilitate the fellowship, uh, but just be mindful while you're downstairs. Anybody else? Perfect. Have some love, coffee, donuts. <laughs> You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.